Welcome to the Crinkle Thought Podcast, Episode 9, here in Waterloo at Single Speed Brewery. Uh, real quick before we get going, I just want to say thank you to Dan and Uncle Medard for sponsoring and making the uh, logo for the podcast, and the great guys at the Iowa Tap Room in Des Moines for sponsoring, making sure that all the content stays free and available to everybody all the time. So thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate the support, and I just kind of want to jump right in here. Um, we got some heavy hitters here. From single speed, so let's just go around the table and everybody can introduce themselves and say a little bit about what they do. Oh, my name is Austin Myers, um, head brewer here at Single Speed Brewing. Um, we've been been along for most of the ride, been here just shy of five years. Um, just having a lot of fun making beer, selling beer, and getting getting all of our beer into uh, everybody's glass. Thanks again. This is the second time you've been on Austin. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Dave Morgan, I'm the founder. Uh, I do whatever Austin lets me do with beer, which isn't a whole lot anymore. And then I, um, I don't know, I spend a lot of time at my desk shuffling papers and trying to uh, make sure the beer gets where it's supposed to go. I'm Chuck Barden. I'm the lab tech and I also work in the cellar, which is where most of the real work is done at single speed. <laughs> Fair. So this is really cool, you know, most of the time in the podcast, I just have a lot of brewers on and we talk beer and that's great. Uh, Dave, this is, this is kind of what to nail you down here for a while and just talk about the business side of it too. Yeah. So I'm really excited to have you on the show and I really, really appreciate taking time out of your day. Absolutely. This will be fun. Um, you know, we like to kind of let everybody get to know everybody. Um, you know, I think the best part about craft beer is that people know the the people that brew their beer know where the beer is coming from, and it's not just some automated system halfway across the country that's being made by robots and yeah. guys in suits. So, uh, Austin, just a couple quick things. What do you uh, what do you like to listen to in the car ride on the way to and from work? Boy, uh, it's kind of all over the place to be honest. We'll uh, we'll even bounce across different continents. Um, sometimes <laughs> go electronic music. Um, <clears throat> Chuck has me listen to a lot of electronic music. Occasionally, I'll I'll listen to some uh, German rap, kind of switch things up a bit. But that's more more common than not. To clarify, Chuck is not riding in the car to work with you, though. Right? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what happened. Well, how about you, Chuck? What do you listen to when you're not with Austin? Um, I I also, I like to switch it up a lot. I'll do just about anything. Um, I think I mostly listen to metal, which is a little bit different than what the rest of my coworkers listen to, so I don't bring that to work most of the time. Most of the time. It's a low metal zone. Low metal zone. Not a no metal zone. Not no metal, but low metal. Low metal zone. All right, well, before we ask Dave, what about in the brew house itself? What are you guys listening to? Really, whatever Chuck's feeling. Um, Somehow I became master of the music. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) How would you explain it? I'll say mostly, mostly electronic. We've mixed a little classic rock once in a while, and a small amount of hip hop as well. When Dave's not around, if Dave's walking through, we'll play fish though. Lots of fish. Every once in a while, we hear fish. <laughs> yeah, is that what you listen to? It's a special day yeah. when we hear fish. Car ride or bike ride to work? Uh, podcast guy. I've been, I'm a podcast guy now. So in the morning, our Zach Schroeder, uh, he's not here because we didn't invite him, right? Business development, Zach. He's developing business. Former lead brewer, Zach. Business development. He's on developing business. But right. He's not here, but he turned me on to a NPR podcast that's like 11 minutes long, and every morning it just gives you like whatever they feel is the 11 most important minutes in news that happened over the last day, and it's about an 11-minute drive to work. So I've been listening to that. Otherwise, I'm a good beer hunting junkie. 
So I listened to a lot of uh, Brian Roth and Michael Kaiser oh, nice. and those guys. Uh, on the way home, it's typically music because I'm done with listening to that kind of stuff for the day. But I, I always start the day thinking I'm going to learn something, right? Or make the world a better place or something. And by the end of the day, it's just music on the way home. I do the same thing. I listen to Beer Temple Insider Roundtable. Yeah. Or uh, the beerist on the way to work. And on the way home, it's definitely music. You've got to unwind a little bit. Right? And the music, yeah. it, it finds its place back in there. Yeah. But that's new, this podcast thing. I've only been doing podcasts for, I don't know, a year or two maybe? And it was very, it was an exception when I was playing podcasts before. And now they've just kind of infiltrated my life. Well, I've noticed you left my podcast off the list, so let's see if we can... <laughs> well, there are only eight episodes, <laughs> right? Like, you well, burned through those there fast. There was a couple early ones on uh, YouTube that Boston that, uh, and Zach are on, so... Yeah. That's like a quick... That's like just a little bit of treadmill work <laughs> right. through that. we got to build that up. <laughs> so when I was here last, it was actually in the, the Cedar Falls location, and uh, what, a four-barrel four system you guys got going there? Uh, three. Three-barrel. Three-barrel, okay. So you're, what, how big of barrels you got going on now? Uh, so brew house is, is 20 barrel system here in Waterloo, um, <clears throat> which going from three to 20 may not seem like a, like a massive jump, but where we made a, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of growth was in our cellar. Um, so, you know, the, we can, we can pretty much be brewing around the clock if we wanted to, uh, regardless of system size, but we've got enough fermenters now that we could take, it would get us to about 8,000 barrels. So um, how did you make that jump quality wise? Cause that is a huge transition going from three to 20. I don't think most people know, unless they maybe homebrew or work at a brewery, that is just crazy to make that transition. It's not just as easy as multiplying the ingredients and good, you're, you're, you're done. Uh, yeah, you are 100% correct. There's, uh, you know, none of the ingredients necessarily scale uh, on a linear, uh, linear on, a, on a line, but uh, we kind of worked through it, Dave and I, when we first were going, you know, whether it was Victory Dance or Tri-School, Tip the Cow from the Fuji Fighting, where our, our first four brews, it was kind of, okay, like, Let's first, you know, we'll run, was, was it Victory Dance? Yeah, I believe so. Victory Dance was our first batch over here. It was kind of, you know, we didn't want to brew it twice yet. Uh, we wanted to get one through the system and see how our hop utilization was, how our, our dry hopping rates may have changed. Because even, uh, you know, across the system, in Cedar Falls we have uh, atmospheric fermenters, whereas here they're, they're closed systems. So we get a little bit different dry hop character between the two beers. Um, or, or between a batch brewed in CF and a batch brewed here. So even just seeing how that might change was kind of, uh, there was a learning curve associated with it, but we were, we were happy with it pretty much right off the bat. I remember the biggest problem was hops, right? The grain, we didn't seem to have much trouble with malt. Correct. But it seemed like we were having a little bit of trouble with hops early on. It took a few batches. Victory Dance in particular, I remember, it, it, was, it was hit and miss with Victory Dance until we got it dialed in over here. That was the biggest scaling issue. Yeah. Um, coffee seemed to figure itself out. Fruit seemed to figure itself out. Hops were the issue. So trial and error. Does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't nail it right away. We had to right. run through it. We had to work through some stuff. But now we have a pretty good idea when we throw something together over here. What what's going to happen? Right. And how? how Chuck writes it all down. Chuck writes it all down. <laughs> Make a list and check it twice. Right. Yeah. Well, I probably should have mentioned in the intro. I've only been here for like 18 months so I never worked in Cedar Falls and so when I started here they were just getting all that stuff figured out so I didn't go through that process at all so by the time I was here they pretty much had it nailed it might not have taken as long if we would have had Chuck here to help us through all that see. yeah that's probably true <laughs> what uh what kind of difficulties have you had with the uh, canning line and getting into that production that's going from brew pub to getting your beer out in the world 
Hmm. Apparently none. Everything's working yeah. smooth there in single speed. That's Problems. Great. I don't. I don't necessarily. I mean, as with any piece of machinery, you know, there's definitely a learning curve with it. Like, how long? What do we need to have our beer? What temperature and, and carbonation levels do we need to have our beer at for them to, you know, can up perfectly and minimize waste or? You know, get a beer that instead of lasting 90 days in a can, will last 120 or 150. Um, so that just, again, was just kind of you know, gaining experience, I think. Um, other than that, I don't. So Austin has a standard for DO levels for all the cans that he's got to be underneath. You know, Chuck's always testing the DO levels as the cans as the cans are coming down the line. And unless he's got the DO level low enough, we don't release the beer to market. So when he talks about waste, how quickly can we get the machine dialed in that day? To get the deal level low enough so that we can actually sell that beer. Otherwise, we sit here and drink it while we're doing a podcast. Right. <laughs> this is all. This is all beer that Chuck decided didn't hit spec. So we've got cans of it in the back. Tastes great. I mean, yeah. I don't know. What do I know? It yeah, tastes pretty had good. Had you not told me that, I never would have known. No, so, you're never gonna. And this is what two weeks old. That was canned last Friday. Yeah, it was canned last Friday, so the deal level could have been incredibly high, and you're not going to taste it today. But anyway, we don't let that stuff go. So that was one of the things that they worked through, and now every time they do it, you know, they're canning off a batch of beer into the 12-ounce format. They're trying to limit the amount of waste on the front side. Because once the number, once the canning line's dialed in, it's pretty much just maintenance for Connor. He's our, we call him our can tech. We can call him that. Connor's our can tech. I, what did I say to him one time at, at that uh, learning thing we were at? We were sitting in this room, remember? I, oh, I said, uh, we were talking about canning, and I was like, what do you mean you don't know, Connor? That's all you do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Austin, did I just hurt his feelings? He took offense. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not all he does. No, he does. But he does that's, his, that's his area of expertise. Absolutely. That'd be like saying lab tech is all that Chuck does. All he does is take dailies, right? Oh, uh, uh, just takes dailies. He just counts yeast all the time. But it's his primary, it's his, it's his exclusive primary function. Yeah. Poor so, Connor. Poor Connor. Poor Connor. <laughs> On the business side, how was it going from the small tap room to figuring out this behemoth operation? And the guy I'm asking the question to is walking away, so that's all right. <laughs> I think you'll, you'll be right back. Yeah. So business side, you're in the small tap room, and that was kind of how long was that originally your goal was just to be in the tap room? Was that your whole goal was just to run that smoothie or were you looking to expand? Uh, when we, back to your when we were putting that plan, when I was putting that plan together and trying to get that place open, I don't know that we really had goals to get out of that square footage. We just wanted to figure out how to make beer and to have a fun tap room and see if it was financially viable. Um, and then we just kind of, within a few months, we were we understood that there was a demand for product we were trying to make. I'm, I'm not going to say we were making it that great then, or that the product itself was fantastic and that's where the demand was, but there was a demand out there for a concept such as ours in our area to exist and grow. So within a year, I think I knew that that wasn't where we were going to end up. It was going to be somewhere else. I just didn't know how big or where. So you talked about this building that we're in, the, the big renovation and the yeah. historic aspect of it. So uh, the one we're sitting in now, oh, we're in right now. yeah, so we're in the Wonderbread facility now over in Waterloo. Um, our other facility was uh, 1,700 square feet, uh, Main Street, Cedar Falls, Iowa, still there, still love it, um, cool space. When we grew, um, some people that were trying to, the building that we're in now was rumored to be targeted for demolition, and there were some people that really did not want to see the city lose this building. 1927 construction, historical building, 
on the National Registry for Historic Places. Um, they were looking for somebody to come in and say, hey, let's not let a wrecking ball take this thing down. So they found me and gave me a tour of the space and then gave me another tour of the space and tried to figure out if this was something that would work for our growth. Um, as I walked through it, I liked the concept of it, but it seemed pretty large. It didn't seem like organic growth, which was more along the lines of what my mind had been set on at that point in time. But the more I got into the potential layout and design of the project and the architect started to clean up what wasn't very clean as you walked through it, they started to clean it up and it looked a little better on paper. Um, it kind of emerged as a pretty good fit for where we were trying to take the company, yeah. Yeah, you did some really cool work. It's gorgeous location. It's a neat building, yeah. It's definitely got a story, which stories are cool, right? Yeah, you did a nice yeah. job of mixing the, the history in with yeah. the newer, nice clean lines and everything. So it feels yeah. new, but you've got that really cool vibe to it. So yeah. nice job there. Thank you. Um, we like our space. Like. Yeah, we like being over here. What what made you um, take the jump into distribution? Because that's a whole different ballgame from just serving here at the group of People just kept asking for beer, you know, and for so long you're telling them we don't, we don't have enough beer, we're just selling it all in our tap room. At some point in time as a businessman, that doesn't seem like the answer should always be no, right? You should try to find a way to make that answer yes and then see if there's a way to run a business off of it. Um, so when we decided to grow, distribution was a big part of why we were coming into a space of this size. Um, the restaurant's important to what we do. Um, the guys work really hard on the restaurant side of operations here too. It's a relatively large team because the building's so large. Um, our energy is primarily focused on the liquid and on making the beer, but both of those business models were important in site selection for this. Um, we needed distribution to be an arm and we needed the restaurant to, to serve a purpose here too. So how's, how's your day-to-day -day life changed from, from going to the tap room to going to this larger facility and distribution? I mean, are you just being torn in all directions? Mostly I sit at a desk, like almost all day. Yeah, I used to get to make beer. And then even here, we made beer together for a while. Um, but yeah, it's just um, trying to, the logistics of making beer and selling beer kind of swallowed me up. So mostly I sit at my desk and build spreadsheets. We love spreadsheets. I send out a lot of emails. <laughs> Sending out emails before I came and sat down here. We've got a couple beer launches coming up, and we try to get that stuff out to dis distributors. 60 days out is usually my goal. 30 is about what I hit. I feel better when I hit 45, but we try to get them all the release materials a month or two in advance so that their team's ready for it, and they can actually get the appropriate allocations, which to me means the right amount of beer. I, I was just on the phone with the guys down in Des Moines, and I'm like, we just have to get this allocation right. You know, if you need... X, I don't want to give you Y, whether Y is bigger or smaller than X. We want to give you X, so can you please tell me what X is? <laughs> and then we make X, you know, but I, that's primarily what I do now. So it's just changed. It's just um, a lot of numbers. So how do you feel you've been received as, as distributing across the state? You know, you think things are going where you expect them to be, or you... Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like we're selling more beer than I expected us to sell. But then when I go to events and like talk to people, um, four out of five people have never heard of us. So it's the opposite. I'm like, I didn't expect to sell that much beer. Man, I thought a lot of people knew who we were. Yeah. And then I go places and I'm like, man, I can't believe we're selling that much beer. And how the hell does nobody know who we are? Right? Single speed is, I mean, I'll go 45 minutes down the road to Cedar Rapids. And we'll pour at a festival or, or a sampling at Hy-Vee and 
I, maybe even more than four out of five, maybe nine out of ten people I talk to are like, where are you guys at? Just up the street, man. What are you talking about where are we at? Where are you at? <laughs> so do you think that's partly because the, the tap room craze in general, that people are selling out of tap rooms and, and that's kind of everyone's going hyper local? I don't know. I think part of it is that I, we live a little bit in like a brewery bubble where we just assume everybody knows what we know. Sure. So not everybody knows what single speed is, right? Because it's what we do all day long every day. And then you go out into the real world and you're like, oh, people have lives that don't involve, <laughs> don't involve single speed. Shit, that's refreshing. I didn't know that, you know? I think that's more of it is that more that like our vision or my in particular vision of like our role in the state is it's always nice to go into market and, and, and be reminded that you can still introduce yourself to people, which to me means there's room for growth, which is a positive. Yeah. Always try to find the positive out of those weird interactions where nobody knows who you are. Well, I'm in lots of beer groups and pretty active on social media, and I have several good friends in the Des Moines area, and they are all super excited to get your, your beer distributed there. And I think one of the coolest things to me as you guys have grown and distributed is to see how well Victory Dance has gone over yeah. out there. And, I've got friends that always have it in the fridge. I, I always have it in the fridge. Um, you know, and, and how everything's bigger and hazier and juicier and everything's gotta be giant chocolate stout with a big cake in it, you know? It, yeah. It's just kinda cool to see a really nice, clean, refreshing IPA. And it's, yeah. you know, everybody's digging it all the time. So. Thanks. <laughs> we like it. I kinda kind of wanna like go it. get one right now. We got some in the cooler? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. We'll have to go. I'll go grab. Yeah, I go grab a couple a little bit. We'll have to sit down and have a victory dance then. That's always a good one. We love it too. Yeah, it's one of those beers. I mean, this happens. It seems like with every beer that I that I drink of ours, like we're pretty fortunate. We really like what we do and we really like what we make. Um, you know, like we obviously don't drink Tip the Cow, Victory Dance, Tricycle Gable, Kung Fuji Fighting every single day. Um, that just wouldn't work. Like we'll, we'll kind of rotate rotate through, and it's like every every couple days or every 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 week or so you'd sit down and be like man I just had a tip the cow or a victory dance and that, that beer's really good I, I get it I get why we're cranking it out like we are like we're really happy with the beer yeah that became like a favorite Dave wants to go get one <laughs> I do I'm not going to get up though I still have this one here I'm drinking my sour I'm happy it's a great, great grilling beer it was perfect this summer when it came out I grilled with it on Christmas yeah <laughs> two a two no victory dance yeah. I'll see if we can get some get some out of one um, so along those lines, you know, are you, your releases so far, what I guess the last two that I've noticed, uh, Zach's Mexican Donuts and then the Coco Mint Stout, yeah. you've had some, some big stuff going on here, but I guess, uh, you know, from somebody who's 45 minutes away and doesn't always have the time to get here for big releases and I just yeah. can't do those anymore, it's awesome to see distribution on those too. And so they be able to get them. I can get those beers three, four, five days later at the local high view when I'm up doing my shopping. And uh, yeah, our model's a little amazing. bit different from some of the places. There are a lot of different brewery models out there right now, and a lot of them are built upon taproom releases exclusively, right? Because there's there's control of capital there, right? Yeah. They, they, you control pretty much all the capital because you brew it and you sell it right there. Um, our model isn't really built on that. We've we might splash one or two of those in this year. I don't know. Try to figure out how to do that. That's more about hype than most of the stuff that we do. We don't do a lot of... Our hype machine is pretty small. Small. 
Yeah, so those are, to us, those are, not that the liquid's not good at those, but those are more of a height event than they are a liquid event. So we, we, we release ours to market in what we feel is pretty fair fashion for distribution. Because they're our partners. When it come, at the end of the day, the, distrib the distribution guys and the retailers are ultimately our partners, right? Because not every beer we're going to be able to sell is going to be, we've never sold one, but a $20 four pack, right? Right. Right through our thing. The, the way that our system is set up and the size of our system, that's not, that's not how we're built. So our distribution partners and retailers, we try to get them the right amount of beer for the market that they're in. And your market is one of those and make sure that you can go, yeah, grab a six pack. Yeah. So you just kind of mentioned like $20 four pack. So can maybe talk a little bit about your pricing? Cause I, I think most of your six packs are $9.99. I think those special ones were like $11.99. Yeah. We, we target, you know, we, once it leaves our building, we can't really control what it gets to you at. We, we try to guide that. Sure. Right. I mean, yeah. I think they call that price fixing. Uh, <laughs> we make suggestions as to what we think it should retail at. But yeah, most of our stuff's 10, 12 or 14 by six, 12 ounces. Yeah, and that's where we like it. I mean, that's, that's a, for what we're making is a fair price in our opinion um, for the liquid that we're putting out there. We know what goes into it and what that costs us. We know what effort we put in. And then we have, you know, volume goals with each, with each one. We want to make sure we, we get rid of all of it and then we price it accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, was over at Happy's right after Zach's Mexican Donuts came out and I was super happy to find that. Yeah. In their cooler and grab that for eleven ninety nine. I've never had that one. I've missed that one in the tap room before. Yeah. And I was really impressed. Uh, so nice job, Austin. Yeah. Nice. The, 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 and Zach, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, Everybody. Uh, the spice mix, you know. Uh, Mostly Austin. I, I think, no, no, no. I think the spice can get overdone on a lot of those kind of beers and that's just nice and subtle and just adds to it and take away from it. So yeah, it's really cool. I think one thing we really like about that beer in particular is, um, you know, <clears throat> most beers like that on the market, you see they're going to be eight, 10, 12 percent ABV. This one settled, comes in at five and a half. So it's like, you know, it's got a lot of character that may lead you to believe it's, um, you know, a beer like that. But then you can go ahead and have two or three of them and still feel OK. Go about your day. It needs more vanilla though, right? Need everything. It always needs more vanilla, right? If vanilla is the most expensive ingredient, it always needs more. Vanilla. It always needs more vanilla. And so your recent recent release was the uh, Coco Mint Stout, and I had that at your Cedar Falls Tap Room. I think we were behind the bar that day actually when yep. Dan was with us, and and uh, that's a beer that I just don't still have a hard time wrapping my head around. It shouldn't work, but for some reason it really does. It's such a good beer. Yeah. So what what was kind of like an inspiration and such a kind of off the wall type beer to do that and to do it well so everybody's drinkable. How many years have we been doing? We've been doing that one for a bit. Funny three? story. So four? we've got Tipped Cows three. are yeah. milk well, stuff, right? We've been doing it for <laughs> 40 years. Four. <clears throat> 40 years. Tipped Cows are milk stout. Cocoa Espresso milk stout. And of all the milk stouts that we've done so far, that was actually the third one we did. I mean, the first one was Van Fleet. It was a uh, orange, orange, orange milk stout. And then we did cocoa mint milk stout. And then I think, like at the same time, David and I were both sitting there. It's like, why haven't we done a cocoa espresso milk stout yet? Uh, but yeah, the the cocoa mint milk came I think like three weeks before Tip the Cow did yeah. originally, many years ago. So Tip the Cow could be considered its child. Could be. Tip the Cow is the actual variant, not cocoa mint milk. Right. Uh, another funny fact, I didn't know that. So that's good. Guys, somebody's writing this stuff down. Just up here. Okay. 
So you guys had a really cool accomplishment this year. You were in, I think it was Nashville, and you yeah. won a pretty big award. So maybe you guys can tell me a little bit about that. And uh, I'll let Dave go first. All right. Oh, for real? I didn't even have hot chicken out there, and I have to tell the first Nashville story. Well, that's because no, I have the hot chicken story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Nashville was awesome. I mean, Nashville was... Ah, Nashville is a good experience. We're sitting there, you know, so you go out to these things. We go out to the Craft Brewers Conference. We, how many years have we gone out to that? Uh, you've been out there four times, I've been out there three times. Three times, so four and three. So that is the best week of the year. Probably one of my favorite weeks of the year, if not my favorite. I should say work-related, but pretty much one of my favorite weeks of the year. You can learn, you can learn an S ton of information in about four days. Yeah. We, it's, it's invaluable for people like us now last year the year before two years ago three years ago what we learned out there for that week is it's, it's a good part of what we know now and why we're having success is that we get really really we get better while we're out there mm -hmm. so we go out there for that it's craft brewers conference it's been in portland it's been in dc it's been in nashville Philadelphia. we get to see all these cool places that we that i haven't been to before anyway uh somebody dropped a victory dance off uh so we're there, and then every other year you can enter your beer in the World Beer Cup, which is the largest beer competition in the world, and most prestigious in my opinion. Uh, and so you can enter four beers, and we entered four beers. And we don't ever plan on winning. It's really hard to win. I mean, it's the whole world. I mean, it's a big world. What else did you guys take? What else did we send out? We also took um, Cow. We always take cow, right? Gable took the cow, and... Something else that didn't win. We took one other one that was yeah. loser. Tip the cat. Tip the cat. We did cap. take tip right. the cat. Way to go, Chuck. Somebody's writing this down. I wasn't even there. <laughs> that literally is a child of tip the cat. Literally. And that one actually made it to the last round, remember? You don't have to tell anybody that. But, sorry, we'll have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> session beer. That's right. Espresso session milk stuff. But anyway, so you sit there and you don't plan on winning, but it's a beautiful night. There's... It's a show. I mean, there are people on stage. It's a presentation. So you get a four-course meal. Yeah, with four-course meal with um, pay, you know beer-paired meal with um, previous medal winners beer. So you know, I, I don't couldn't tell you whose beer it was we were drinking. We've had left hand there before. Right? Yeah, left hand milk stout. I think yeah. um, was one of the beers. But you know, you're drinking world-class beer with really good food. Waiting to see who else is brewing world-class beer. We had a great table of people. There was a judge there from Australia. Yep. That was sitting with us. That was he's got a brewery there as well, but he was also a, a judge that was there. So I mean, it's fun. But you sit there and you expect, at least me, you don't expect to win, right? You know it's hard to win. But as you sit there and your categories get announced and you're not winning, somehow it still feels like somebody's punching you, because <laughs> you're like, man, would have been cool, right? Yeah. And then our last beer standing was our Goza. Mm -hmm. Category 82 or something. I don't know. It was late. It was late. There was a lot of beer on the table by the time that thing won. A lot of beer on the table and a lot of empty cans. A lot of empty cans. By the time that one medaled. Yeah. And at that point, you know, we had we had had three three categories. Three of the categories we entered into announced um, no 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 medal, which was fine. We didn't again, like Dave said, we didn't go in there expecting to get one. That being said, I think it's safe to say we both kind of had our game face on, like walked in and were ready to compete more or less. Yeah. Um, so I think I think I leaned over to Dave and was like, "Hey, can we take up? Can we take off after <laughs> after the last category, uh, whatever the number was?" And then, yeah, 
they, they came up with uh, Leipziger Contemporary Goza and, and announced that Ring Around the Goza was, was the, the bronze medal, and I think everybody kind of went crazy for a minute. Yeah, the table lost it a little bit. Yeah. That was fun. You, you'll never win your first medal again. That's right. So we tried to have as much fun as we could. One other kind of the cool thing with the craft beer community is I follow a lot of the Iowa breweries on Twitter and those things, and the support that you guys got immediately yeah. on there was was pretty cool to see. We stick together pretty good, mm-hmm. you know. We watched Mike Wing go up when Iowa Brewing Company got their medal for Tragedy of the Commons. You know, a couple categories in front of us, twenty maybe or something along those lines. It felt pretty cool to watch them get to go up, you know. And we we stick together. I mean, we all go out to GABF and. We come home from Great American Beer Festival without medals, like I think Iowa did last year. That's not that's not what we're trying to do, right? That's been a while too. It's I was shocked that we yeah. we need some medals out there, right? I mean, I talked to the guild guy afterwards, and I was like, man, we got to do a better job at like getting our entries right to make sure that Iowa beer is bringing home medals because we know there's good beer here. I mean, they're two at World Beer Cup, crying out loud. Last time I checked, the world is bigger than the United States, right? Yeah, Great American Beer Festival only has, you know, beers from the states in it, and we're not meddling out there. That's it. We got to work harder on that. But anyway, we stick together. So like, when somebody wins, yeah, we're all fired up. I remember the first time I saw uh, Peace Tree take a gold medal for like World uh, Beer Cup. Yeah, World Beer Cup for the Blonde Patel. Yep. And I was like, man, that's pretty awesome. And I was firing them off text messages and tweets right away. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if there was a brewery involved with it what I was doing at that point in time, but it was still exciting. We were probably young. What, what year do you think that was, 2012? I was 2012? still in school, so yeah, I, it was early. Yeah. We stick together pretty good. Year maybe? Yeah. There are outliers in every group, but uh, for the most part, Iowa breweries are all, we're all cheering. We're so can all you talk a little bit about the, the beer itself, Austin? Yeah, um, <clears throat> so it's kind of a, what, what we feel is a fairly, as far as the base beer, a fairly traditional take on a, on a German style goes up. Um, kettle soured to, you know, about, we usually kettle sour beers anywhere from 3.2 to 3.4 pH, kind of depending on which direction we want to take it. Um, you know, Ring Around the Goes is the most, in my opinion, most tart on the palate of our beers, of our sour beers, uh, whereas the beer we're drinking right now, the Atuhu, is not quite as sour of a sour, per se. Um, so that one goes lower on the pH scale. Um, we'll kettle sour for usually 18 to 20 hours, and then boil it, <clears throat> kill the lactobacillus so it doesn't get over into our fermentation and then end up spoiling every subsequent batch of beer that were to hit that tank. Um, and then we'll add, um, so base beer gets sea salt, coriander, uh, wheat, a little bit of, little bit of pills and malt, and then um, during fermentation we'll hit it with you know, hundreds of pounds of guava and passion fruit. Um, then usually let it condition for an additional about seven to ten days on fruit, and then package thereafter. So I missed out on that, that beer when it came around distribution-wise, but I'm excited to see you guys have it on tap now. So I'm uh, going to try that one later on. My family's coming over, going to meet me here. We're going to have supper nice. here awesome. on. So awesome. that'll be the first beer that I order there. But yeah, I had the, the Gracie Goza, and love that. I drank through that six-pack very fast. Cool beer, too. Very different, but also very, I mean, for a Goza, those two aren't super comparable, but they're both right. both nice. Uh, CBC note, I always... I have to circle back to CBC. Almost everything that we learned about how to make a goza, we learned at CBC. Yep. 
Shout out to our buddy Breakside Ben. Breakside Ben. We don't actually know Ben Edmonds at Breakside, but we We'd call our buddy. We'd love to be friends with him. But he did a he did a panel discussion, led a panel discussion out there a couple of years ago at CBC, and it talks a lot about how to make kettle sours that don't suck. And that's what Austin built his sour program around. There's Ben's presentation out there. So, so how when you Breakside go to these ben. conferences, um, I, I work in the veterinary field, and I've been to veterinary conferences in like yeah. Kansas City and. You, know, you sit in the classroom and people are coming in and talking and going over that stuff. I, I do retain some stuff and take notes and stuff, but how do you actually bring that back, remember it, and put it to practice? Like what, what is, what are you guys doing differently that you can actually do that? Because I've worked with some people who go to those same classes and they can't seem to recall a single thing that we talked about in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one, everybody treats the conference differently, right? Absolutely. I mean, we have fun at this conference. But we, we treat it as a learning experience first. So we take the seminars pretty seriously as we're going through and deciding what we're going to listen to and learn. Two, the Brewers Association makes those presentations accessible to you after you leave. So you can go back and like review it slide by slide, typically. Um, so the information's there. Again, if you didn't take the best notes or if you maybe it was an early morning one and maybe you were out a little late the night before and you didn't absorb what you wanted to, you can go back and still get it. Three, the brewing community is so great. Like honestly, if you reached out to the person that gave it, he'd probably just send you the presentation and more information if you asked for it. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, if somebody's willing to go stand up in a panel discussion at CBC and knows that anybody can be in the room, if you were in that room and wanted a little more insight into what they were talking about, I'm pretty sure you're going to get it if you reach out. So in that line, you know, when you're coming back and you're working on a recipe for that, do you, are you constantly going back to your notes and, the, and that sort of stuff? And are you reaching out to other brewers that have done goes to kind of get some more information? Or are you just going through books and info that you have available to you? A little bit of everything, to be honest. It kind of depends on the beer. Um, <clears throat> you know, something that's been around as long as it goes, there's a lot of, a lot of information out there on it. Um, but then you turn around and then there's beer styles like a, like a New England IPA or a brewed IPA that have only been around for three months or, <laughs> or a year or two, you know, and there's less, there's less information out there. So at that point, it's more of a kind of a, a roundtable discussion. But um, with, with that one in particular, the Goza, we, we did a lot of digging through, through some texts. And then, again, like Dave said, CBC was extremely valuable. Um, that's, that we, I, I credit CBC for that beer and that kind of our kettle sours, kettle sours, uh, kettle sour series, excuse me, success over the last few years uh, all started there. Do you have a smaller system here that you are doing R&D on or is it just the, the Cedar Falls? Uh, the Cedar Falls system, that, the, the role of that system has kind of evolved a bit to just be, be our pilot system, right? Like we want to make sure that we have kegs of, of Victory Nams, Tip the Cow, Gable, etc. available over there for people who want to drink those beers, but we also want to have kind of a little bit of everything going on uh, over there. So we'll have, um, you know, Ring Around the Goza was born in Cedar Falls the first time, I think it was last winter. Um, we kind of had to figure out, like, okay, how do we scale this so that it tastes just like this? Because we really liked it over in Cedar okay. Falls. And you even played with the fruit over there a little bit, right? The ratios right. of guava to passion fruit and stuff like that, that, that dosing, you know, you don't nail that the first time. You don't right. sell yeah. So how many times did you have to make it before you just have it right where you thought you liked it? We had done three batches in Cedar Falls okay. uh, before we brought it over here. So we had nine barrels under our belt the first time. And liked, liked it all, but it was just kind of a matter of, okay, is is this beer, we like this a lot, how can this beer be better? Um, so we, 
across both locations, our approach is that you know every time we're brewing, we want to learn something. Just kind of brew and learn. I think we talked about this the first time we were on the show. Um, what can we learn from this batch or this recipe or this raw material or this ingredient or process? Um, and with that one, it was a matter of, okay, this is really cool, but what if we did this? You know, it's kind of like the continuous search for the, the unknown, I guess. How can we get this beer? Can we get an extra 10% out of this beer in terms of what we think flavor or aromatic uh, is capable of? So, Jeff, what's your responsibility in that role when they're brewing test batches and stuff? Or what are you going back and looking at and helping them tweak? Well, we're all involved in um, the sensory and the, the taste testing of it which is a common joke for brewers that you just drink all day, but it actually is an important thing to taste the product and make sure that it's good before you send it out. And then just quality control in general, you just want to make sure that every batch is clean, there's nothing in there that's going to um, affect the shelf life, no off flavors or anything else. So I would say that that would be my primary responsibilities for the, for the test batches. I can't even think, because we have we have larger sensory sessions every, just about every Monday where we have a plan, but we're also having sensory sessions throughout the week that are smaller in nature to be like, is this beer ready for packaging? Is this too, you know, is this to brand? And Chuck sits in on all of those too. And he also has the notebook. He's got the notebook. Every He's got several notebooks by now. But. <laughs> yeah, he always has the sensory notebooks always out. Who is in charge of your uh, can art? Oh, Eric Bonzer with uh, Eric Bonser is a graphic designer slash web designer. He does all of our he does all of our branding actually. So top to bottom website. Um, most of the stuff we use on social media that isn't just a picture taken by us was created by him. All labels, posters, man. menus. Ed, he does a ton of stuff. And he's really good at it. Eric does a ton of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's perfect. Eric is absolutely perfect for our brand. Yes, because he loves. Clean, crisp, you know, imagery, and then and, and he loves. He's not just a graphic designer that likes to make graphics. He likes to make brands, and so he's been able to like cultivate this brand in a way that he likes. Where you know it, it all starts. Eric might tell you differently, but in my opinion, it all starts for Eric with that circle. Like each beer's logo, if you notice, is always a circle, and then he incorporates that into cans, posters, tap handle stickers, like whatever it may be. But for Eric at all, if you look at anything, you'll probably look at all of our stuff differently now, but if you ever look at any of our stuff, it all starts there. Like look where the colors, the colors come from that for the entire can, not vice versa, right? That logo's always been around. So well, it's very distinct artwork because you yeah. can tell one of your cans without seeing your logo on it. Right, that's his goal, I think. I'm sure he's got many, but I know that's one of his goals. <coughs> So I took a can of uh, cocoa mint stout for my family's Christmas this last weekend and yeah. shared it with my, my brother-in-law from Madison, who's a big beer geek too, and he was just raving about the, the flat back can and the artwork, yeah. and he just thought that was the coolest thing. And obviously, he liked the beer too, but you know, he was, he was pretty, pretty impressed with the logo there. So. You know, so, so beer is art, but then art is also art, right? So like it's cool. I enjoy looking at the artwork that Eric comes up with too, and then I like to see it because I usually see the early renditions of it that are sometimes like straight up home runs. And then sometimes he's like, hey, I just want you to look at this and give me your, give me your feeling on it. You know, what kind of vibe do you get from it? Yay or nay, should I keep going? And then I like to watch those things progress. You know, they, they go their own direction too. And then, you know, a couple months later when we get a seat on a can, 
fun for me because it's like two projects in one. Because I watched the first one that I didn't do a whole lot of work on. Eric did all the hard work, and then I watched the second one that I didn't do a whole lot of work on. But Austin let me help a little bit, and I get a, and then I get to see them all come together. And then I'm like, yeah, I got a role in both of these things, and it all goes into a can. So uh, switching gears just slightly, um, you guys are uh, Olympic champions uh, twice over now. Back to back. Huh? Yeah. Now I feel like Zach really should be here. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. Zach was a big part of that. Talk. He was a big part. He's a big part of it. We took, uh, what, six of us down? Six? Yeah, six of us down both years. Um, and we switch it up. Different approach, different training, all that stuff. But <laughs> same goal at the end of the day. So if, if you don't know when you're listening, the, the, uh, the Iowa Brewers Guild has held the Brewers Olympics. And I think it's been in Cedar Rapids the last two years. Both times, yep. yeah. And uh, you guys took gold both times. And, uh, Tell us a little about some of the stuff that you guys had to do. I saw some tug of war with a rope in one hand and a beer in the other. Yeah, there's tug of war. There's usually a sensory session. This year they had beer trivia. Um, it's an obstacle course. Probably one that OSHA would not approve of. Uh, <laughs> and then a uh, grain, a pallet of grain, stacking and unstacking that pallet of grain with the salt and nut roll in the middle. So kind of the fun, fun inside joke with the salt and nut roll is uh, BSG, we get a lot of our hops and, and some grains from them as well. They're up in uh, Minnesota, but they, on their pallets, usually make them worth unstacking because there's usually some salted nut rolls like a third or two thirds of the way down. So when one of those pallets shows up, that's usually the quickest one to be unloaded uh, between the, the four or five of us. Uh, so then you have to, once you unstack half the pallet of grain, you got to eat the salted nut roll. And that's really where the stamina. Especially, I think Zach does a great job with that. <laughs> um, he, lo he loves those salty nut rolls, but that's that's where the the, the victory is is won. I guess the battle is won. So. But that's fun. The competition is fun. I think the best part is like, you know, it's a different setting. We get out of the brewery, get away from some stainless for a little bit, a little bit, and just kind of hang out with a bunch of other really cool brewers in Iowa, like Dave mentioned earlier. Yeah, there's the camaraderie there again. There's I'm a sure, lot right? Of camaraderie there. It's a, it's a lot of fun. We look forward to it every year. Uh, there may be resentment, though, if you try to, I mean, if the early results are coming in next year and you guys are in the lead after, like, three or four events again, I mean, the camaraderie might go out the window. I mean, you... Well, so we, we start slow, right? Um, <laughs> let everybody kind of get a couple beers in them and then jump in late. <laughs> Worked this year. It was, it was close. Um, it was close, but then we kind of ran away with it a little bit. So do you get like a, a wrestling belt or anything cool like that? <laughs> mm, you do get a cool thing. We do get a cool thing. We get there's a, a traveling award. I guess it's not really traveling at this point, but perhaps <laughs> next year. Old days, water the wild. It's uh, exactly. It's a uh, just a, a pin, a beer pin with a, a kind of a wooden. What would you call that? It's an award. Black traveling award. It's got a plaque on it, um, and then we've got a couple different medals for. Um, both years. Now, so is that going to be able to compete next year, being in a different position? Mandatory. It has to. It's in his contract. Yep. Tug of war. We got to have him in tug of war. Mandatory. Yeah. And nut roll eating. And nut roll eating. <laughs> so there's been obviously lots of changes for single speed over the last five years. So what what kind of changes or what kind of future do you see in over the next five ten years? Oh man, we're trying to settle in. So I think we're getting comfortable in our shoes here a little bit. So we're trying to settle in with understanding what goes on in this building and then understanding how that translates to the state of Iowa and how to get the beer out there in the appropriate, in the appropriate way and making sure that it's um, 
getting there in a timely fashion and it's fresh and all of those things. We, we want our volume goals to be hit, but we want our volume goals to be appropriate more than anything else. So I think we understand, we understand what we're doing now certainly more than we did two years ago and I would say probably quite a bit more than we did a year ago. Even um, six months. Even six months. So we want to continue to just kind of build, build, our, um, build our brand within the state of Iowa and continue to make an impact within the Iowa beer industry. Um, we're going to stay progressive with our offerings. You know, we're going to still push, push our ship in the Sour Series. Austin's still got two fooders back there that he's playing with. So we still do, you know, he's doing some mixed fermentation beers. Um, we're going to try to get those to be a little bit more prominent as their volume level comes up. You know, that stuff sits in oak for a while. It takes a while to get out and, and, and release to the world and then market appropriately so people understand all the cool things that Austin's doing with the fooders back there. Um, we're bringing barrels into the mix a little bit. He's done some stuff in Cedar Falls with barrels and we've liked the results. So he's going to up his barrel program a little bit more going into this year, which also you won't see immediately, right? Barrel programs take a little bit, but we're working on, on sourcing some more barrels and getting some more beer into barrels and getting that stuff out there. Um, I don't know what else are we up to. Nimble. Nimble series. We're always playing with hops. I don't know. Learning from hops. Learning from hop experiments is fun. So he's playing with hops. We got a Nimble series. So there's a new IPA that he launches on the Waterloo system every every other month, um, which is only going to make us better because we're forced to brew beers in Cedar Falls to make sure we're ready to brew one in Waterloo and then release it at the Waterloo level. So we're playing with hops a lot right now, which is going to translate into a lot of different beer styles. I mean, people think hops and they think IPAs, but that's not necessarily true, right? There's pale ales, there's English pale ales, there's IPAs, there's double IPAs. There might be extra IPAs, Chuck. <laughs> extra IPAs that are out there. There are hazy IPAs, there are brewed IPAs. Fast um, drinking. Fast drinking IPAs. <laughs> slower drinking IPAs. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can learn. And, and then just hops, I mean, shoot, our cream ales got 32 IBUs of hops in it, right? Yep. I mean, so a lot of hop experiments are going on. I don't know who isn't doing that. Back and forth between Cedar Falls to Waterloo to brew. Uh, so, I guess a little bit about our brewery staff. We've got um, production only. Uh, this doesn't include you new know, sales, Dave, um, business development, all those facets, which are very important. But um, we've got Dave and Zach. Dave and Zach. Yeah. So there's eight of us all together that are worried about beer. Uh, six that are focused on production. Um, so we've got one guy who pretty much handles the entire Cedar Falls system uh, on his own. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, again, sensory and everything is, is a whole team, but usually him and I are just in talks about like, okay, this is, you know, this is what we'll brew. Um, this is, you know, kind of work it through, work it through the system. Um, so Sam is over in Cedar Falls been handling that, uh, that role exceptionally well. He'll do, you know, fill, fill barrels or brew hoppy beers, or, or we're still playing around with a couple different sour, sour beer concepts. Um, and he's over there pretty much all the time. So I don't go over there with the exception of you know, occasionally pulling beer out of the barrel, doing some really abbreviated sensory, or sometimes for fun. Sometimes we drink for fun. So are you sending him, uh, you know, like recipes and things like that on a regular basis, or are you yep. letting him go free? And uh, I'm still working. I'm still doing recipe development for the time being. So, but a lot of that starts with you know concepts like none of the beers. The last thing I want to do is take credit for an entire an entire beer because it takes it takes a village. You know whether it's uh, all of us right now sitting down talking about a beer concept, it's like, hey, 
what if we, you know, what if we tried this? I don't know, like a brewed IP with grape must, grape must, something like that. Like it's a thing, could be a thing. Why don't we try it? Um, so it, it all kind of starts usually over beers, more often than yeah. not, and then we'll kind of go from there. And you know, we'll brew batch one of whatever the style is, and kind of see how it evolves, taste it, and decide how we adjust on the backside. So, um, yeah. Sam's, cr- Sam's crushing it over there. Takes a village, but Sam's crushing it. He's been good. Yeah. yeah Sam's only been doing that for, I don't know, a handful of months right now as the lead brewer Since over like there. October 1st. Yeah, but Sam's been doing great. And, and, you know, as he continues to get you constant results and consistent results of good stuff, then he will let the leash go a little bit and let right. Sam play with stuff over there. But right now, Austin pretty much says, Sam, I think you need to make this. And then Sam does it. When are we gonna see uh, brood times two in, in Ouch. <laughs> That's honestly not. I'm uncertain. That'd be a Dave question. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a Zach question. A Zach question. That's a business development question. It's a good uh, beer, huh? That's a great beer. That was one of the first beers I had, what four or five years ago at Cedar Falls, and it's probably the first good beer we made. It's the first first single speed beer I had too. Uh, but you know, and we love that beer. Um, but I think one of the, it's one of those things, you know, you have to have the cow milked out with cocoa and espresso, and it's it's just, it's a tough, asking people to drink both beers or distributors to sell both beers or bars to pour both beers at the same time, I think was kind of a tough ask. It's impact, the um, market was low. Yeah, There's, right. I think that's a, a very fair point that a lot of people don't think about. You know, it's, it's hard, especially with such a saturated market in Iowa, we have so many great breweries and it seems like right. every week another brewery starting to can and getting them out there. Yeah. Uh, there there's just such great options. Uh, I know for years I was one of those people who would just go to the store and buy, you know, mixed six packs and, and always trying something new and something different every time. Yeah. And this probably this last year I've started to slow down a little bit. It's like, okay, I need I need more victory dance, right? I need, you know, some some easy any or something like that. You know, I just yeah. need to slow down and have the same thing more than once and uh, in that world, that makes it tough to have two two coffee beers out there. There are two cities, even was, though they're totally different beers. Oh, the consumer is going to think it is. Hey, there's coffee in that beer. I've already had this beer, so I don't need to go buy this beer. It, it was tough on every level getting both of those out there in our core. I don't. I, I'm not saying there's not a spot maybe seasonally for it. We don't know what that spot is. Like we haven't defined that spot. That beer will be around, um, just not as often as it probably should be based upon its quality, in my opinion. I love that beer, too. Tip the Cow just, just a beast, and it just kind of took over our portfolio for anything that you would, well, for a lot of stuff, but anything that you would think coffee about for certain. And then poor little Brood Times, too, was just kind of getting kicked to the side. Yeah, I even have instructions from a coworker to bring her a six-pack at Tip the Cow tomorrow, so, you know. I think those yeah. are good instructions. <laughs> So, uh, any other kind of exciting things that you guys want to touch on before we're, we're kind of getting close to the wrapping up point? I don't want to take up too much of your day. Chuck, what do you got? I got nothing. Oh, man. As usual. I'm just taking notes. Just taking notes. He's <laughs> got like three notebooks over here. So. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot. Austin, you got anything? We covered a lot of stuff there. We covered a lot of stuff. Detroit Lions. We did not talk about the Lions. It's the greatest terrible football team in all the world. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just kind 
know, we're gonna we're gonna like Dave said, we're gonna keep pushing the envelope on some things, um, and you know, the old standbys are gonna be around too. So whether it's shifting the sour or the nimble series, like we're gonna try to continue to push not only beer concepts that already exist, but also our abilities. And we want to make, whenever that beer hits cans, we want to make it the best beer that it can be. Um, so, barrels, hops, sours, food or beers, clean beers, we're going to do it all. Um, coffee Sour IPA. Coffee Sour IPA. You heard it here first. <laughs> he stole it from somebody else, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll give it back. I borrowed it. <laughs> So how do you think how do you think you guys have stayed relevant with such a changing climate in the beer culture? I mean, that every day there's something new that that people are chasing. You know, I'm not sure we stuff. are. I mean, I talked about that earlier. I like I think I mean, I think we're relevant. But like you go out there, I mean, I don't I don't know. Relevant is such a, it's a sketchy word. Um, it's a, you know, we do get caught up in the beer bubbles. I mean, I'm, right. I'm in, in the beer community and the, the consumer side so much and. I listen to the Beer Temple Inside Roundtable, and they'll start talking about a topic like, uh, oh, they were talking about um, Trillium and, and all their shenanigans and, and stuff, and yeah. they're saying how, oh, nobody's going to buy Trillium anymore because of that. It's like, well, we've seen that here in Iowa. People will buy it. It doesn't matter. You know, there's always going right. to be, there's going to be those those beer geeks that get in line the night before to get that beer, and it doesn't matter It's you know, how much... It doesn't matter if it's hundred dollars a bottle or sure. three hundred dollars a bottle. So I don't think that's really going to hurt their sales. Um, but probably not. <laughs> uh, I'll go back to how our relevance. Uh, so how do we how how do we plan to stay relevant and, and like build our brand within the state? Our core beers. That's the root, you know. So we want people to understand Victory Dance for what Victory Dance is. You clearly know what it is. Like it's a nice American IPA that we can build our brand around, right? Yeah. Anybody that likes IPAs can drink it. Is it hazy? No. Is it a brew? No. Is it a triple or extra, Chuck? No. But it's a nice, balanced American IPA. We have Tip the Cow, we have Tricycle, and then we have Gable, which is our Municalis. Obviously a great project for us because we got to work with Dan Gable and the Dan Gable Museum on it. Anybody listening to this podcast that happens to be in the state of Iowa probably knows who Dan Gable is. Anybody outside of the state still probably knows who Dan Gable is, but it's a pretty cool project for us. Yeah, how fun was that for you to work with Dan Gable? Uh, to continue to work with Dan Gable, but it's uh, <laughs> it's incredibly fun, yeah. I get to talk to Dan pretty regularly. Um, Dan does events with us for the beer. Dan's excited about the beer. Um, he thinks it's pretty cool. It's his stories on the beer. He talks about his domination in Munich in 72. Um, that, that, that could be a whole podcast. We'll get Dan up here for that one. He's more fun to listen to than me. I just have a real but, um, quick... Dan's story, I met him years ago when I was in college, and the, the wrestling museum was in Newton, Iowa. Yeah. They had a uh, wrestling museum hall of fame, and they the first year of the inductions for the hall of fame, I was in college, and I did a wrestling report on my radio station, on my radio channel, so I went in, and I, I interviewed a whole bunch of the wrestlers that were there. Cool. And most of them were, you know, like the WWE-style professional wrestlers, yeah. and Dan got up in front of the room at the banquet, and just slammed professional wrestling and just called them all pansies and he did not give a shit that he was no. in a room with 80 old wrestlers that could no. just glaring at him and it was such a badass thing to see it was pretty cool yeah dan um, dan has the ability to to do something along those lines and he can back it up right yeah i mean he can say whatever he wants I mean, he can say whatever he wants and usually what he's saying is justified but let's say it isn't it's still justified i mean it's dan gable said it right so, 
Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's our foundation, is our core. And then we push the envelope with shifting the sour, pushing the envelope with nimble, playing with the food or beers, which is fun, but also I think important. And then gonna, you know, kind of dip into barrel aged stuff too. So a lot of different things going around. And I think that that can keep you relevant. Um, but our focus is on our core a little bit more than some of the business models you see out there right now, really pushing taproom sales and a new beer every week or something along those lines. We're launching more than one a month. If you look at our seasonals, I mean, probably closer to one and a half or two, but our core is already there, always there. And that's, that's what we really focus on being. And then we throw all these other fun things out there around it. Um, and as long as we balance those things, I, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, great. Well, guys, thanks again for being on the Crypt Lock podcast. This was awesome. Thanks to the Iowa Tap Room for uh, supporting. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to heading just uh, about 30 feet over next door to the restaurant and having some of your food Fun. and, and uh, a couple beers here. And uh, so thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah.